Our scripture reading today is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. It's on page 1006 in the Pew Bible. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, the opportunity to be here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. We just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to to your truth, to what Scott uh, would bring to us today. We pray that you would uh, just move in our hearts and, and change us, Father. All for your glory, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can take, can never Take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he added, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The word of God for the people of God. I had someone tell me they were kind of surprised last week we didn't uh, hear from Hebrews. We're back into Hebrews. So um, we've been looking at how Christ is the better uh, of everything, but specifically we've been in a section where he's how he's the better priest, the better sacrifice, the better, better temple. And we're kind of culminating all of this to look at the implications of what does that mean for Christ to be the better sacrifice, the better covenant. And in doing so, um, we're, we're summarizing kind of all those things, um, kind of recapitulating his um, superiority as a priest and as a sacrifice, and making the point of what that means for us. The first section of this, verses 1 through 4, is the idea that since the law was the shadow and now the reality has come, um, 
that it, it points to that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's showing the, um, the, the point of that original covenant and that original system of priesthood and sacrifices and animals whose blood was shed. The purpose was not the perfection of your forgiveness. The, the purpose was pointing to the reality to point us to Christ himself and what that sacrifice is. And so he reminds us that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. The whole system, gathering together, bringing an animal to the priest who sacrifices and puts it on the offering, the purpose of that, we shouldn't get the idea that God just really loves a good barbecue, that, that God is so angry at our sins, but if you do the steak just right, well, let it pass. And it's the idea that those weren't things that God needed. It wasn't something that he was craving. It was something he provided. And yet, the provision was not for the covering of sin, the blood of bull and goats. It can't cover up my failure to follow God's law. At the end of the day, the, the hurt I've done to people, my rejection of God's law, my willfulness and my stubbornness, killing a sheep isn't going to cover that up. One of the reasons is the discrepancy of value. I'm trying to imagine a, a situation where Houston was representing a client who had um, a very nice car destroyed in an accident and, and damages, putting somebody out of work. Somebody might be able to relate to that. And go into court and them saying, well, tell you what, I, uh, we, we bought this uh, uh, 99 Corolla two-tone uh, off of this pastor in Covington. We'll let that replace that Lexus. How about that? And, um, you yeah, know, we'll, we'll bring some hot dogs over. How about that? I, I don't imagine any competent person would say, sounds like a deal. <laughs> It, it doesn't make up for the, the price and the value and the value and the damages done in a relationship with God with our sin, the bull and the goat. It's pointing to something greater. It, it's not an even exchange. It's not a debt. What needs to be paid is human life. You're so much more value than bulls and goats. And so we need human we need someone whose life, and, and more than that, um, it, it's a reminder. Well, he, he says it's, it's a reminder because every year you repeat these sacrifices. You come back and do it again. And in a sense, that is a provision, a reminder. God's going to forgive. God's going to um, um, accept your repentance. God's going to provide for you. He's, he's going to receive these sacrifices. He's made a provision for you to come to his temple. And yet at the same time, the writer of Hebrews recognizes it's also a continual reminder of your sin that has not been covered. The fact that you are continually having to offer sacrifices is a reminder the debt is not paid. Kind of like when you send in a bill, um, paying a bill every month, it's a reminder it hasn't been paid. It's a reminder a debt is owed, and, and there's the sense of which the continual offering of sacrifices is itself a reminder, I need forgiveness. 
There, I, I need to pay the cost. I need to pay the price. And what needs to be paid is not bulls or goats, but a human life who stands for us and is of value. And so, uh, verses 5 through 10, we hear of that sacrifice. We hear of what is needed. Um, so it tells us that when Christ comes into the world, and then he quotes from Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written me for, of me in the scroll of the book. I want to say a couple of things before expanding on this meaning. The first is, did you notice the way that quote is introduced. It doesn't say, as it is written, or as the psalmist says, or as we read in the psalm. What it says is, as he said, meaning Christ, as Christ has said. In other words, he understands that when we are hearing this psalm, it is Christ himself speaking. Let me say that that changes the way you read a psalm. When you understand Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know that he utters these words on the cross. When you read Psalm 22, you understand that in a different way. You're getting insight into the heart of Jesus. You're getting insight into God's grace and forgiveness. And likewise, we read Psalm 40. If, if you're struggling with Psalms, one of the ways that will help you is to recognize you're hearing the words of Jesus you're hearing the words of David as, you know, and, and other writers, but you're also hearing the words of Jesus, that he's showing us who he is and what he's come to do and showing us his grace. Uh, he, he tells us um, that it is Christ himself who is saying this. And I just, I love the beauty of this, that if you think of how Christ grew up in the synagogue praying the Psalms, singing the Psalms, gathering with his disciples and singing the psalms, quoting the psalms, knowing that all these psalms came from his lips. As we gather together and we pray together the psalm that Christ himself has prayed, it is his body, the church, reciting the words that his body that was incarnate itself spoke earlier. Just an amazing thing to think of is that we are um, learning to pray following Jesus's own prayers. He's teaching us to pray, but also his body continues to offer these prayers and praises. It is Christ himself who speaks. And what does he say? You did not desire the sacrifices. That's not what was demanded. What was demanded was obedience. The, he mentions the several types of sacrifices, Sacrifice offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings. These aren't what God desires. What God wants is someone whose heart loves him and wants to be obedient to what he calls us to do, wants to follow him. He, he, he wants a heart that is in relationship with him. And here's the thing. Obedience is lived out in a body. Their, their obedience is a heart that follows God, but then feet that go off to serve neighbors, hands that seek to serve those in need, words that speak truth, a tongue that 
shares encouragement and, and words of love, uh, a mind that is thinking on the things of God, that is thinking in his truth, and all of our obedience, almost all of our obedience lived out in hands of feet that are serving others and following God. And so, a body you have prepared for me, he says. I, I love that because one is the, it's the understanding that it's a body that is going to obey God's law perfectly fulfilling the commandments. But it's also a reminder of the incarnation that a body has been prepared. Not that Christ is the Spirit of God kind of taking over and possessing a body, but it's taking a body as well as a human soul. All that you are, he came, and in that form, he had a body, a human body that would be lived out in obedience and ultimately um, offered as the sacrifice that was perfecting um, and completing our forgiveness. You might, if you were astute reading the psalm earlier, think, this says, a body you have prepared for me. The psalm said something about giving me ears. It's, it's in the, the Hebrew text, we, we have a reference to ears. In the uh, Greek translations, there were manuscripts that talked to, that said, a body you have prepared for me. So the Hebrews that is quoting that seems to be picking that up. There's, scholars have different ideas of what might be going on there. I think one of the best understandings is that it's kind of an interpretive paraphrase. It's understanding what is meant by there and kind of the, the point being by mentioning one part of the body, he's understanding that a whole body. Um, in other words, if you have ears, you have a body. And there, there's kind of this sense of the, the, the portion uh, stands in for the, the, the whole. So, for example, at Mount Carmel, several folks understood the reference. We'll see how many people get the reference here. I don't know if this is an old thing, but have you ever heard someone say, nice threads? Okay, good. Now, they didn't mean they, they were nerds about thread count. It meant your clothes. Or if you say, hey, nice wheels, they're probably not really looking at the wheel. They, I mean, what it means is the whole car. That's the point is, and so if you have ears, you have a body, I'm not going to belabor that point. But he has a body it's a body that was in a perfect obedience and a human body able to pay for the sins um, of a human and all humans. And it is a body that was offered as sacrifice. He has come to do his will. He didn't desire the sacrifices. He desired one who would come and do his will, and that is who we have in Jesus. This is one of the glories of our redemption is not only our did Christ obediently go to the cross and suffer for our sins? But every moment he lived, he lived in perfect submission to the will of God. So he perfectly obeyed God's law and perfectly fulfilled God's law in obedience. And apart from that, we would only be at square one by being forgiven. We would still need to meet God's law, but Jesus met the law. We have him completely suffering for our sins, but more than that, completely doing all that God demanded that we do so that every time I fail to live up to doing what God would have me to do, 
Jesus did it for me. Jesus did the things I failed to do as well as paid for uh, my sins. More than being the perfect sacrifice and the complete sacrifice is the reminder that um, it is it is finished. It is final. It is um, evidence of the perfection in what Jesus has done. So verses 11 through 14, the priest who would continually offer the sacrifices was a reminder that the debt was not paid. But Jesus himself only offered one sacrifice. And so he says that when Christ had offered the sacrifice a single time, uh, one time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the God. He, he completed the work. It was finished. He, he is seated at God's right hand because there is no more need for a sacrifice. We celebrate Easter. Jesus didn't rise again so that he could go back to the cross the next week. He finished it. The work is done. And he has now been seated, and he shows us our relation now that his work is done. Sometimes I think we have this idea that, okay, I'm forgiven by grace. What is there really to do as a Christian? You know, I just trust it and kind of be good, but if I don't have to worry about things, well, here's a good summary of the life of a Christian because we are living between two points of time he mentions here. He has sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made his footstool. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. So in the first thing we see that he conquered sin and death and sat down at the right hand. The sacrifice has been offered. His victory is sure. Your sins are forgiven. But he still has enemies. There's still those who oppose to him. His kingdom has not come. We're living between the time he has been seated and the time that his enemies will be made the footstool. We are still in the battle against darkness. We are still waiting for his return, waiting for the establishment. And in that time between every enemy being finished and the cross, we live our life in this battle fighting against sin, fighting against his enemies that will eventually be conquered. And we do so knowing that we must grow in grace. He says there, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There's kind of this irony here. He has perfected, but we're being sanctified. It is working its way out in your life. God has forgiven you. God has declared that you are going to be with him and justified and you will be made holy and you will be glorified, but we're not there yet. We're in the process of being sanctified, being made more like Christ. And so we gather together, encourage one another to that end. We gather together and remember what he's done for us and, and how we are to live in light of that. We gather together for all these things to encourage us to continue the battle and continue to fight sin in our life, continue to repent, continue to embrace grace and pursue holiness. And we do this knowing that his new covenant is here. The Holy Spirit bears witness, and he quotes from uh, Jeremiah, 
talking about the new covenant. In other words, even in the old covenant, there was the promise of a new covenant that was to come where we would know it in our hearts and that we would be forgiven. Verse 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And what he's saying is because this is the covenant, there is now no more need for sacrifices. The old has been done away with. Um, In verse 9, he had said, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. In other words, the new covenant in Jesus Christ is not just like superior and better. It is superior and better, but it also means there's not the option of the old one anymore. It's not like you can choose an inferior. It is no longer there. The old has been abolished because the new has come. The purpose of the old was point to the new. Now that the new is here, you don't get the option of going back. Graham has his permit. You might have saw him drive up this morning. And we're expecting in February for that permit um, to um, lead to him getting a license. We're not going to go back two months after he gets his license and say, hey, can we get that permit back? Right? I mean, the permit's purpose was to lead to the license. You don't get the option of going back to the permit. And this is kind of the same thing. This old covenant fulfilled its purpose. It's done away with. It, it was good. It was God's gift. It was needed. It had its purpose, but its purpose was fulfilled. And now the fulfill- fulfillment it is here, we don't have the option of going back. And and so to come to Christ is not just say, well, it's better. It's better, but what else are you going to do? And what that means for us is we who are constantly tempted to go back to an older way of making up for things, offering sacrifices to pay for our failures, to to work out um, and do good things to cover things, it's not going to work. We don't have that option. And can I just, I think most people kind of struggle at times with the idea that, man, I had a fight with spouse. I need to go to church. I did a lousy thing. Maybe I'll put a little bit more in the offering plate. I can't believe I did this again. I sinned again. You know, I'm going to say extra prayers. I'm going to say more prayers this week. That's going to make up for it. In other words, we're tempted to go back and trying to do sacrifices to make up for our sins. There's no option. You can't do that. That's not going to do it. We don't have an old covenant. We don't have any way of works making up for things. You can't pay for your failures and sins. But the good news is he has done it. He has covered And we don't have the option of going back, but what we do have is we have the perfect sacrifice that we trust in and that we rest in and that we rejoice in. And all of our life comes not from trying to make up for our failures, but living out of his grace that has been overwhelming in our lives. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.